Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. That parable is the third of three parables our Lord gave while being challenged by the Pharisees. He challenged them on their authority. The first story he told was of two sons who were instructed to do something by their father. The first one said he wouldn't do it. The second one said he would. And then the first one recanted and did do it. And the second one refused. Then he asked them which one is the obedient one. He obviously was speaking of them. It became clear because he said, Surely I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. So they knew what he was talking about because they mouthed obedience, but they really didn't do it. And then he told an amazing parable of a landowner who planted a vineyard and dug a wine press and built a tower, leased it to vine dressers, and then he went into a far country and sent servants to check on it, and they beat his servants, the workers in his vineyard beat his servants, and killed one and stoned another. So he thought, well, surely they'll treat my son right, send his son, and they killed his son. And he asked the Pharisees, what do you think will happen? And they said, well, he will come to the vineyard himself and destroy those wicked workers. So they pronounced their own judgment. That's what's happened. 70 AD, Titus came with his armies and destroyed their city. Christ had predicted its destruction. And so here in this parable, I'll just read it to you again right quick. And again, he spoke a parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited. So notice they had already been invited. 
and he arranged the marriage and, and sent out servants who were invited, and they were not willing to come. So they had received the invitations, and then they changed their mind. They had RSVP'd, as it were, and then didn't follow through. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, referring back to the first invitation, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Come on, y'all. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. It was parallel with the earlier parable he had just told. When the king heard about it, he was furious and sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways. As many of you find, invite to the wedding. So just go out and invite everybody you see. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. What is that about? Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. So many had been invited to the wedding, and only a few went to the wedding and were chosen. In coming to the master, a relationship with the Lord, being part of the bride of Christ, the wedding hasn't actually happened yet for us, but the relationship has occurred. We are betrothed. We are lovesick for Jesus, for our betrothed, looking forward to that day. The whole world is invited, and yet a few are chosen. Why? People are rebellious, and they need God's help to save them. We wouldn't have enough sense coming in out of the rain if the Lord didn't open our eyes. Well, it was a no-brainer, Pastor. I was in jail, or I was in the hospital, or I was on my last leg. I was dying. I would be an idiot not to get saved. Well, a lot of people like that right now that aren't getting saved. The Lord opened your eyes, and you heard his call, and you said, yes, amen. So Jesus has done the work. He said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So thank God the Father has chosen us. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul's testimony, as intelligent as he was, as, as in educated as he was, he was not a believer. His testimony was, God knocked me down, blinded me for three days, and opened my eyes. So who gets the glory in his testimony? God does. He gets all the glory in saving us. So this parable deals with one guy getting in to the wedding and not having on a wedding garment. 
What is that about? It's not the whole thing that the parable is about, but it's one aspect of it. I participated in a wedding once and had to appeal to a security guard who was not allowing a man to come to the wedding. The man, it was a formal black tie affair wedding, and this guy came dressed like he was going to the rodeo. And the security guard was not letting him in. And so I had to go and appeal and say, please, let him in. He is invited. I confirmed that he had received an invitation. So this thing about this wedding is not unique to the parable. It's part of culture from weddings from the beginning. Human history as we know it began with a wedding, right? Where the first man looked at the first woman and sang the first love song. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Amen. Sorry. I need to calm down. And human history, as the Bible relates it, is heading to a wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb. What a great day that will be, amen? When we all get, we'll sing and shout the victory. The ministry of Jesus began publicly at a wedding where he turned between 120 and 180, let's just divide it in the middle, 150 gallons of water into really good wine. New wine, fresh wine. Was it fermented wine? I'm not going to argue with that. Anytime somebody asks me about our communion, say, do you guys serve wine or grape juice at your church? I said, I don't know. How do you not know? I said, well, it depends on how old the grape juice is. We're talking about parables. Today we're looking at our royal wedding invitation. We have been invited to this wedding, and we have heard the call and been chosen. Thank God. Subtitle would be how to respond to life's highest honor. Weddings are incredible, and it seems like they're getting more and more special. It's like weddings are gaining importance over marriage. (laughs) Couples are getting married. They're not really ready for marriage. They don't want to spend a dime on somebody to counsel them, but they'll spend a fortune on weddings. We're getting further and further away from punch and cookies and peanuts and cake and those special butter mints. All about the wedding. This wedding took place a few years ago. It made the news. It's a billion dollar wedding. Good time, everybody. This story a first for me, a billion With a B. dollar With a B. wedding. Wow. An Oxford-educated heir to an oil and media empire from Kazakhstan, 28-year-old Sed Gutsevier, Sed Gutsevier, got married over the weekend. His 20-year-old bride danced and dined in a $25,000 haute couture gown that also weighed 25 pounds. Guests treated like royalty shuttled to the ceremony in a fleet of Rolls Royces. The cake, nine tiers tall, taller than any of the guests in attendance. And oh, the entertainment. How about this for a trifecta? Sting, Enrique Iglesias, and Jennifer Lopez all serenaded the bride at this one wedding. Lopez, you know, she sings Love Don't Cost a Thing, <laughs> except at this wedding. You know wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was. I, I read about this, and apparently J-Lo got paid like a million dollars. And she said wow. the hardest part was pronouncing the names of the bride and the groom. Yeah. That was the hardest well, thing she had to do witnessed. that day. Right, J-Lo, I feel you. <laughs> and you did it for free. As special as that was, it's nothing compared to this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. 
Revelation 19.7. And his bride has made herself ready. Who's getting ready? It was given her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. So which is it, pastor? Are we the bride of Christ or are we the guests at the wedding? Yes. I'll explain it to you. Different metaphors, analogies to describe who we are in our relationship with God. We're the saints, plural, right? Saint means sanctified ones, set apart. We're a saint, singular. Now, that doesn't mean uh, we are perfect in our own selves, but we've been set apart for the one who is perfecting us, amen? Equipping us. Corporately, we are the bride of Christ. We are not the brides of Christ. He is not a polygamist. He has one bride. And that bride is us corporately. Many times we don't think corporately. As Americans, we tend to be hyper individualistic till our nation gets attacked. Then suddenly we think corporately. How dare they do that to us, right? So in the kingdom of God, corporately, we are the bride of Christ. Individually, we are parts of the bride of Christ. Individually, we are guests at the wedding between the groom, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the bride, singular, of Christ. Does that make sense? Corporately, we are the body of Christ. We're not bodies of Christ. You know, there's one head and one body, but individually, we are parts of the one body. So here we have the bride who's clothed herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So corporately, the saints are the bride of Christ. Individually, they are the saints or parts of the bride of Christ. And she is clothed with the righteous acts of the saints. Now let me ask you, where does our righteous acts begin? It begins with imputed righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Our righteousness, self-righteousness, is as filthy rags. And we can't say just how nasty that is other than that verse was written in a day before there was toilet paper. All right, moving right along. So he gives us his righteousness. It's uh, the, the best way I understand it is in accounting terms. You know, with sin, we owe a debt. A sentence has to be passed. Justice must be served. Punishment must be meted out. Christ on the cross took our punishment upon himself to redeem us from our sins. Now, no longer are we indebted. We have been forgiven, redeemed. Righteousness takes it to a whole nother level. Not only are we redeemed, not only are our books no longer in the red, but now they are in the black, now we have a credit balance, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 
So it's great to be forgiven, but it's even greater to be credited with righteousness, to be brought into the royal family. Some cultures may even provide the clothes. I'm sure that billion-dollar wedding that provided a fleet of Rolls Royces, it probably came with clothes to wear. You came away from that wedding probably with your own iPad that you never had before and an outfit. Who knows? Uh, When we got married, the groomsmen all got tuxes rented for them. It was in Zimbabwe. It only cost 10 bucks a tux, and they were good tux, and I paid for them. Not like that here anymore. It's like 300 bucks, right? In fact, the last wedding I participated in here in this very room the suits were purchased rather than rented for less than what it would be to rent them. So I don't understand the economics on that. But what you wear to a wedding is part of it. It's been that way for centuries. And the Lord taps into that part of human culture and connects it to our relationship with him and likens the kingdom of God to a wedding where people are invited and then they're they're like send a save the date kind of deal, right? And then the day comes. So in that culture, the father got all things ready and said, okay, this is the day. So you may not have known the day when you got invited, but when you got invited by a king to a wedding, you were highly honored, right? If if you were invited to uh, Charles's wedding, you would have been highly honored. Or one of his two sons' weddings, you would have been highly honored, would you not? So it is an honor to be invited to a royal wedding wedding. It is a high honor. So today I'd like to talk to you how to respond to life's high honor. One is to be responsive. Who knows what RSVP stands for? It means please respond. Either yes or no. Let us know. We're fixing to drop a chunk of change here and we don't want to buy a plate of food for you if you're not going to show up. Look at that one. Kindly, please, refi- re- please reply by 22nd of August. The names, I cannot wait or I have a very good excuse. <laughs> In Luke 14, the Lord talks about a dinner, a great feast that was laid out, and people began to make excuses for not coming to the feast. And so the master of the feast wound up in inviting people from the highways and the byways, the halt and the lame, and people with lots of problems. The reasons they didn't come to the great feast in Luke 14 were not bad reasons, but they were lame reasons. Like, I've bought some oxen and I need to go test them out. Why would you buy oxen and not test them out? Or I've married a wife and I cannot come. Why couldn't you bring your wife with you? Right? So, It is many times in God's calling in our lives, we come up with some lame excuses to defend not obeying him, right? So with these RSVPs, there's a deadline date when they need to know by. And in our culture, because of the pressure to not violate your agreement to go, people will often wait to the last day because they don't want to say yes and realize it was a mistake. But when the, when the time comes, then the wedding party knows who's coming, and then they prepare the great event. So in our parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. 
We don't like that concept in our culture, do we? But how are we doing with it? Letting kids decide. How's that working for us? Kind of need to take another look at this. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited. They had already happened. The invitation had already happened. They were invited. So this invitation we have, if you're here today and you're not a believer, there's an invitation extended to you. May God give you the grace to respond. To respond to life's highest honor, we need to be committed. Committed. So these people that had responded were not willing to come. It seems like our generation really doesn't want to commit and is the master of making excuses for being involved in anything. Two guys have developed an app called I Got This Thing. And it's an app that connects to all the events in your area. Somehow it connects through Google Calendar to all the social events. So that if somebody invites you to come help them move tomorrow, you just look it up, oh, I've got to uh, participate in a tree census at the city park. Watch this. Human beings are always busy. Sometimes we're so busy, we don't have time to come up with excuses for why we're so busy. Hey, Nat, what are you doing tomorrow around 6 p.m.? I need someone to help me move. Uh, sorry, I think I've got a thing. But here's the thing about that thing. He's got no thing. Or in other words, nothing. nothing. That's great, you can help me move tomorrow. I've got books and a Bowflex and pianos, plural. Introducing Got This Thing, the revolutionary new no-ductivity app that fills up your schedule to free up your schedule. Just click Get Busy, and Got This Thing will populate your calendar with real events from your area to give you the perfect excuse, any date, any time. Hey man, are you busy tonight? Around 6 p.m., I've got a piano recital. Oh, I'm sorry, I'd love to come, but I'm volunteering in the Parks Department's tree census. And if you're already at an event that turned out to be super flame... Nat, thank you so much for coming to my cousin's funeral. Ugh. Just hit Ghost, and Got This Thing will send you a notification for an event in your area that's just about to start. Head to gotthisthing.com and download the app. Fill up your schedule to free up your schedule. Sounds great. Hey, Nat, can you help me set it up on my phone? I'd love to, but I've got this thing. You know what's worse than moving a piano? Pool tables. Oh my goodness, they're killers. <laughs> How to respond to life's highest honor? Be respectful. Be respectful. In the story here, they made fun of the invitation. Oh, Junior's going to get married. <laughs> He's got plenty. Stop you know, interrupting my day. I'm tired of being expected to follow through with my commitments. And they went their ways. We are honored to be invited into a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're honored. When people invite us to their weddings, they're honoring us. They really are. With weddings going more and more expensive, the guest lists are getting smaller and smaller so they can afford to do them. And so if you are lucky enough to get one of those, it's an honor. So take him seriously. Be respectful. How to respond to life's highest honor? Be properly prioritized. These guys had other priorities. One had to go to his farm. Another had to 
go to his business. Now, in their defense, these weddings in Middle East culture could last up to a week. So God forbid that you go to a wedding and leave early. So it's a big thing, a big interruption. And so in following Jesus, there is a price to pay. There is a commitment you're making. There are the commands of Christ to take seriously. Jesus paid it all so that we could be free to do the will of God, unencumbered. But selfishness has got to go. Right? There are people to serve. There are people to love. There are causes to get behind for the purposes of God to finish, to to be fulfilled in the earth. To respond to life's highest honor, be honoring, be honoring. The rest not only dishonored the invitation, they seized as servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Now, this is a picture of the kingdom of God. Christ came, inviting people to the wedding, inviting people into relationship with himself, come follow me, and persecution is coming. And his closest followers would die martyrs' death. John's brother James being the first one, they would remove his head. So people are going to reject. And the destruction of the city of these people that killed him Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 AD. So this parable was a prophetic picture. So we want to be honoring in receiving life's highest honor, and we want to be inclusive. This isn't just me and Jesus got my own thing going. This isn't just for the elite. This is for us all. Therefore, because these people who had been invited rejected the religious Jews, the rough guys, the fishermen, the harlots, the tax collectors, they accepted the invitation. But the ones that knew the word, that should have known better, rejected. And so the invitation is extended to everybody. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad, who fits in that camp, and good, who fits in that camp, not me, And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Filled. No one wants to throw a wedding and not have anybody there. So the bride of Christ is mighty. And God's wedding hall is going to be full of all kinds of folks. Well, I don't have a wedding wedding garment. Wedding garments will be provided. There's become a thing now in our culture in America, it's a beautiful thing, where couples plan a huge wedding and then they come to their senses and don't get married. I've told couples, you know, on their wedding day, if one of you changes your mind, I've got your back. Oh, people would be furious, it would be wrong. It's like it's, like it's the unforgivable sin for the bride to run away. And yet it's acceptable for the bride to get divorced. I mean, it doesn't compute, right? But if you see a red flag, by all means, don't wait till your wedding day to pull the, pull the plug. It's painful. But it has happened in our culture. And so here the families are left with this huge expense that they spent and it's too late to cancel. So what do they do? They turn their weddings into feasts for the homeless. 
You can Google it and find several neat stories. Here's one right here. The mother of the bride actually reached out to us and kind of proposed that she had this party that wasn't going to happen and wanted to make sure that somebody got some joy out of this evening. And everything was already planned. The band was booked, the caterers were ready, the venue was here, um, the decorations were good to go. Um, it was just a matter of getting guests to the party. So now we're here, we get um, a fabulous dinner, an uh, opportunity to dance, all the families are here, they're all dressed up, and um, it's become just an evening of joy and celebration. The bride um, is amazing, amazing young woman who took what could have been her um, day of deepest grief and pain and turned it into a night of celebration and joy for so many others. And that's what we see from so many of our families who are going through so much trauma and pain and loss and yet still find ways uh, to seek out joy and celebration in life. And what a gift and an honor that is to be a part of that tonight. In your bulletin is one of these stories, and uh, th this particular one, the whole story's been condensed, but the whole story, there was some businesses that got behind it and bought outfits for the homeless people to wear to go to these wonderful parties. Isn't that making lemonade out of lemons? Awesome. So that's what God has done. Those called to be part of the bride, those invited to the feast, reject him. So what does he do? He extends the invitation to us. Hallelujah. We got invited to the party. Isaiah 61, which is a whole chapter is so messianic, it's amazing. Christ quoted the first few verses. He read them in the synagogue and said he was the fulfillment of those. The Spirit of God has anointed me to, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the good news to the poor and open the doors of the prison, and heal the blind. It goes on to say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So the Lord is the one that covers us with a robe of righteousness and that gives us great reason to rejoice. Amen? But we do not stand in our own righteousness. So you can be involved in kingdom affairs, you know, be, be at the party or part of church attendance as it were, but there's more than just being there. There is the clothing with righteousness that the Lord gives his people. When the king came in to see the guests and he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And he got thrown out in the parable. So at this feast, we're going to be clothed in fine linen, bright and clean. So the righteous acts of the saints are generated by the righteousness the Lord gives us, right? The fruit of the Spirit is generated by the Spirit. So the righteousness the Lord gives us motivates us to be obedient people and to repent should we stray. We live because of appreciation. 
We don't deserve the righteousness he's given us. We live by appreciation, not desperation. By revelation, not perspiration. We're not trying to be righteous. We are righteous. And our life reflects that fact. And so that is the garments with which we're clothed. Now, we're talking about the wedding feast of the Lamb, looking forward to that wonderful day. But yet, we're also talking about the kingdom of God in the now. Sure, our wedding day hasn't come. The, the engagement has begun. We've, be, we've begun betrothed, right? And in ancient cultures, that's when the bride takes on the name of the groom. So that's already happened. We're baptized in his name. We follow him. We honor his name. But yet we're looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But in the meantime, there's this relationship. To one of the churches in the book of Revelation, the Lord said this. This is written to believers. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is often read during altar calls to unbelievers, and they obviously can participate in this, but really it's written to us. It's written to a church. The Lord is knocking on the door saying, let me in. And whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. This is fellowship or communion with the Lord himself and he with me. These aspects of relating to our invitation deal with our relating to this invitation. Are we honoring? Are we purposeful? Are we prioritizing this? Or are we getting distracted by what's going on in the world, in our culture? Are we as close to the Lord as he's promised us we can be? Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That's a promise from the word. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Are we doing that, or are we focused on economics, politics, conflict, personal goals, self-centered things, or just us for and no more, or are we allowing the Lord to come in and meet with us and deal with us? Well, Pastor, I liked it better when you talked about that future supper. Can we go back to that? We've already dealt with that as best as I can today. But right now, it's us in the room. The wedding hasn't happened yet. What do we do now? Whoever heard of a couple getting married, I guess they do it in those cultures where there's arranged marriages, where there's never any fellowship with the fiancé. If we're looking forward to that day, why aren't we filling time with our fiance. We're easily distracted. We just are. So much goes on that draws our attention away from focusing on things above. We're talking about setting our affections on things above. You ever feel like somebody's going to push you over the edge or they've gone too far now? How does that happen to us as believers? Because we've got our affections somewhere else and not on him. 
Um, I'm easily distracted by other preachers that brag about how much faith they have during this season. And this one guy I saw on social media was just going way too far. I mean, it was something wasn't right. I made the mistake of Googling his name. Oh, no. Shouldn't have did that. He had a lot of reasons to be angry. He's had a lot come against him. Had a church treasurer disappear with $200,000 a few years ago. There's a lot going on. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, God, I'm totally distracted. (laughs) So I ran in here, got on my face, and pulled up a song. Maybe you've seen it. It's it's a, the kid's a teenager now, but he was just a little boy then. Uh, He's blind and autistic, singing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Clothed in your power and love, holy, holy, holy. And I began to repent for my being distracted. And all along, the Lord's waiting for fellowship with us. And I, you know, I'm preaching to myself today. I got distracted. That's kind of how this sermon got born. It's like, oh, man. How does this happen? It happens. The cares of life, all these parables are real life, you know? The, the enemy comes and plants tares at night. Sometimes that could be in our own hearts. Seed is planted on rocky ground and And uh, thorny ground, sometimes that could be in our own hearts. But thank God for his mercy. He's preparing us to be that bride without spot or wrinkle. Amen? Now, I know the new Jerusalem is called the bride of Christ, but there are the people that are destined to live there that are the bride of Christ. Can we pray? Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I pray, Lord God Almighty, that you would have your way in us. Show us, Lord, where and if we are being distracted. In Jesus' name, give us the eternal perspective on everything. May we set our affections on things above. In Jesus' name, amen. As the praise team comes forward, I want us to read this. This is a Scottish catechism. The Catholic Church is known for catechism. It's a a style of teaching where questions are asked and answers are given. So this is a larger catechism. The shorter one is, what is the chief end of man? So the longer one is, what is the chief and highest end of man? Can we read the answer? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. So forever isn't just off in the future. It starts now. Are you and I enjoying the Lord now? That's what we're called to do. It's your
for them. They need our prayer and boldness. God bless John MacArthur. Amen. Well, I'm going to speak a blessing and then I want to tell you a joke. Can we do that? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his God bless you. Go get him, tigers. Now, the joke. All right. So go to London. We're on the streets of London. It's cloudy. And there's an old street preacher on the corner. And he's preaching on the dangers of judgment day. And he is serious. I tell you, there's a day of judgment coming. And you're going to be confronted with your sins. Physical and mental sins. And there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A little old lady in the crowd said, but I've got no teeth. He said, teeth will be provided. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln liked that joke. God bless you. Amen.